Hello, my name is Anne and I'll be bringing you the second Bible reading, which is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 to 16 and 39 and 40. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife? whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Anne, for bringing us our reading this morning. Well, today it is a complicated topic, and I will be uh, taking a little bit more time than usual. Um, however, even with the extra time, it won't be enough to really cover all that needs to be said. And so let me do encourage you, as we've heard already, if it's something you want to talk about, uh, let us encourage you to do so. Do speak to the staff and, of course, to the elders as well. But let's now join in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you might give us grace as we reflect on this topic and think about it in, in how it changes, affects so many lives, even within our community. Help us, Lord, to think your thoughts after you and seek to honour you, even as we consider this topic. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the topic for us today is the topic of divorce. And even just saying that word, I'm sure, brings up many feelings, mixed emotions from even amongst us. It's a topic that's far easier to not address and to not think about as a church. It's far easier to just leave this topic in the dark or simply to just turn a blind eye to its reality even within the church and, of course, in our society. But, of course, we can't do that because this is a matter of holiness and godliness. And it's a matter that we need to think rightly and speak with much compassion and sensitivity because it is a matter that is real and raw and weighs heavily upon the hearts of many of us. And so the first thing I want to say about this topic is that this church is a church for divorced people. I'll say that again. This church is a church for divorced people. 
Now, what do I mean? Well, what I mean is, if you have been divorced for whatever reason, we want this church to be a place where you find forgiveness, where you find healing in the gospel, where you find love from a saviour, and where you find fellowship amongst believers, a community where you are welcomed and supported and cared and loved. But also, this is a place where we hope where we will be open, honest, loving enough, have the guts enough to call you to account where necessary, to repent, to seek forgiveness, to be reconciled, if at all possible, and to walk alongside you as you strive to live a life that is honouring to God, and of course to live at peace. But also this is a place where if your marriage is in a difficult space at the moment, we want to be here for you, to pray with you, to support you, to love you, to walk with you, so that you can hold tight onto those marriage vows, so that in the kindness and mercy of God, slowly but surely, your marriage would come together and it will be that wonderful reflection of Christ and the church. And so I'll say it again. This is a church for divorced people. Everyone comes to church with all the messiness of life. And so a word of exhortation to all of us. None of us should ever look down upon a brother or sister who has been affected by divorce with a sense of, I'm better than thou. Never. We have to remember that. We are all fellow sinners in need of the same saviour. Now, having said that, we just have to recognize how messy and damaging divorce is. And what we see today in our society and what it has become, it is just messy. Since the introduction of the Family Law Act in 1975 and the principle of no-fault divorce was introduced, it means that you can divorce for for any reason, on any grounds, irreconcilable differences, incompatibility, and there are no specific burden of proof that is required. And so statistics have it, and these may be shocking numbers to hear, about 30 to 50% of marriages end in divorces. Now, of course, those numbers will be a bit skewed by cohabitating relationships, where relationship breakdowns are even higher. And so how are we as Christians meant to think about this topic? What does it look like for us to think God's thoughts after him on this topic? Well, it's a question and a topic that has been debated extensively. And even within the Christian community, there is a wide variety of views and opinions, even amongst Christians. And perhaps that just shows how complicated this is. We cannot be simplistic when we come to think about this. And every situation, every case, every situation, every marriage really needs pastoral wisdom in seeing how to apply the biblical principles. And perhaps one of the clearest passages in the scriptures that speaks about divorce is our first reading in Matthew 19. And so let's turn to that. The Pharisees here had the opportunity to ask Jesus a question. And so in verse 3, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? You see, in some Jewish circles, 
a man could divorce his wife for any real or imagined offense. Just declare the divorce, sign it, and that was it. The deal was done. Even if the dinner meal was not cooked properly. No chance for appeal, no trial, nothing at all, and it was done. And so divorce was so common amongst Pharisaic circles that it was, in fact, quite scandalous. And so perhaps the Pharisees, in asking Jesus this question, they were hoping to find some justification for their divorces. Is it okay in the eyes of God? Can I get a divorce and get remarried? And so their question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now that may be our question as well. But how would you answer it? How did Jesus answer it? Well, you might understand divorce and think about it as a complicated thing, but you can only understand divorce rightly if you understand marriage rightly. You see, Jesus didn't respond by giving them a list. Well, these are the different grounds and justifications for divorce. Jesus did not do that. Instead, where does Jesus go? He asks back to the first marriage of all humanity to show the intent of every single marriage, that it was always meant to be for life. This one flesh union of husband and wife, it was always meant to be till death do us part. And so Jesus responds in verse 4, Have you not read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You see, that was the institution of marriage, designed and created by God at creation for all creation. It is the leaving and cleaving and uniting together for life. It's why the marriage vows are so important. It is why the covenant of marriage is sacred. It is a divinely ordained one, not our invention. It is a divinely ordained one. And it is an unconditional commitment for life. And so those of us who are married, when we declared our vows, for me it was a bit over 18 years ago to Yvonne, when I declared those vows, I was saying, nothing will separate us until we die. Nothing at all. We have no right to break this bond. We have no right to withdraw our commitment to each other. Why? Because this bond we are entering into is a divinely ordained one. And so what that means is that we're in fact leaving it up to God to decide when our marriage shall end. And when will God decide our marriage shall end? Well, God decides by death, by one of us dying. And so look at verse 6. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And so anyone, anyone who breaks up a marriage knowingly, or unknowingly, is in fact acting in rebellion against God. The husband who commits adultery, has an affair, and wants a divorce, is in fact 
acting in rebellion against God, knowingly or not. The young woman who seduces and lures a man away from his wife and children is acting in rebellion against God. And of course, he is at fault too. You see, our understanding of this divine one flesh union cannot be eroded by what we see in culture. We have to remember that. It is a divine union. It is sacred. You see, what the Pharisees were doing here and what we see in society was the loosing and is the loosing of the marriage bond. But God will have none of it. You hear the words of Jesus. Therefore, what God has joined, let man not separate. In our premarital counseling that we do and conduct with couples planning to get married, we make that extremely clear. It is a divine union. But now, doesn't Jesus speak about some allowances, some situations in which divorce is permitted? Now, before I go on to speaking about the two scenarios in which the Scriptures permit, we have to remember that though permitted, they are not unconditionally encouraged nor mandated. Instead, divorce was given as a concession, not the intention. Divorce was given as a concession, not the intention. The Bible may allow divorce, but it limits it and it regulates divorce. And that's why when Jesus was asked in the next verse, why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Now, how did Jesus respond? Is divorce just a civil matter, a matter of just writing a certificate and sending away? Well, look at how Jesus responded. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts are hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. And so do you see what Jesus was doing here? What he was doing was making clear once again the intent of marriage. It was always meant to be for life. It was only because of the hardness of the human heart that the concession of divorce was given. And so a very helpful way to think about divorce was a term, a phrase I learned from my New Testament lecturer. He calls it divorce as God's tragic grace. It's always tragic. It's always tragic because the intentions of marriage has not been met. It is tragic because it is always the result of damaging sin in the marriage. And it is always tragic and it is never morally neutral. It is never a morally neutral option, but it's always evidence of the hardness of the human heart. You see, any breakup of any relationship can, in one sense, be traced back to the hardness of the human heart, where one or both sides are unwilling to repent, be humble, consider the perspective of the other, forgive, love sacrificially, and reconcile and be Christ-like. You see, it is the bitter fruit that certifies 
that the marriage is dead. It is, in a sense, a form of a spiritual death. It is always tragic. But it is also God's grace. There's this tension. It is always God's grace because it was God's gracious provision through Moses for dealing with the hardness of the human heart, of living in a fallen world where sin can become so vile and toxic, and to limit that damage such that divorce is the only way to continue to live peacefully under God. And so that's helpful. Divorce is God's tragic grace. But we must remember, it is God's tragic grace never to be abused, never to be taken hold of for convenience sake or selfishness sake or for mere incompatibility or misused in a twisted, perverted way just to get out of the marriage covenant. But God, but divorce is God's tragic grace. And we need to remember it is a concession that has been graciously given by God. And so what are the two concessions we see in Scripture? Well, there are only two. They are sexual immorality or adultery and desertion or abandonment. And so firstly, adultery. You can understand why. Adultery destroys marriages. It betrays trust. It is acting unfaithfully where there was a commitment to lifelong faithfulness. And so you can just understand when it does happen, you can understand the deep hurt and betrayal. Because sex is so integral to the one flesh union, to commit adultery is to form an illicit one flesh union with someone else. And there are not too many things in life that are more heartbreaking than that. And it is to damage and ruin the image of Christ and the church, what marriage is meant to look like. Now, this is not to say that every act of adultery necessarily must lead to divorce. In fact, the wonderful shape of the gospel is that there may be reconciliation. Uh, a few years ago, it was with great sadness that a brother informed me and disclosed to me that he discovered that his wife had an affair. I could not even imagine how heartbreaking it was for him. So what do you do? Well, for a while, they slept in separate rooms, and of course, he could have gone down straight to that divorce line. But what did he do? Now, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy at all. But in the kindness of God, with the grace he himself experienced, he found it in his heart to forgive, to put on display the gospel of Jesus. Now, it wasn't easy. It was costly, for sure. But he found it in his heart to forgive. And they're still married with their children. And I suspect it is a stronger marriage because now they have seen the cost to stay together. But of course, that is not always possible. And so divorce is permitted as a concession. And so in verse 9, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness, or literally it is the word porneia again, sexual immorality, and marries another woman commits adultery. 
Now, do you notice here in this verse, if the man is divorcing his wife for any reason, irreconcilable differences, I'm no longer happy, I'm just not satisfied or fulfilled in this marriage, and it is not adultery, then he himself commits adultery when he goes and marries another. And so what Jesus was getting at there was that the marriage bond is so tight, it is a divine union that it needs to take something as serious as adultery to break the one flesh marital union. You see, a divorce may be legal in the eyes of the law, but it is not always moral in the eyes of God. I'll say that again. Divorce may be legal in the eyes of the law, but it is not always moral in the eyes of God. And in the case of adultery, what divorce does then is that it certifies that the marriage is dead. The damage was done by the adulterous act, and divorce certifies that like a death certificate. But again, I need to say, the gospel shape means that it need not always end in divorce, but always working to come back together again. And so that's the first concession that Jesus speaks of. It is adultery or pornea. Now, the second concession is expressed by Paul in our second reading in 1 Corinthians 7. It is desertion or abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. You have to hear that again. It is desertion or abandonment by an unbelieving spouse, which means the Christian. The Christian must never withdraw the commitment to love and be faithful, but must hold on to it. Now, as, as hard as that is to hear, it is to highlight once again how sacred that marriage bond is. And the Christian who has understood the gospel of Jesus Christ is called to reflect the faithfulness of God, even in very difficult circumstances. Recall again the story of Hosea, where God is like his husband who pursues his unfaithful wife, who has prostituted herself to other gods. But of course, there may be times when even for Christians, for all sorts of reasons, when the relationship has become so toxic and even unsafe, that gives occasion for Paul to say what he says in verse 10. Paul says, To the married I give this command. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, and if she does, which could be seen as taking hold of that tragic grace, a kindness of God, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. Now, do you see the biblical principles at play here? For the Christian, there is to be no divorce. As simple as that. For the Christian, there is to be no divorce. But if you choose to separate, even out of necessity, the command then is to remain unmarried. 
He said there's no remarriage here. It will be considered immoral. And that will be consistent with what Jesus says. Unless it is adultery, you will then go on committing adultery if you remarry. You see, in our church there are some who have been separated, even divorced, but have chosen to remain unmarried, as Paul says here. One I know of was separated for 21 years before getting a divorce. Separated for that long before getting a divorce. Why? To take hold of the gift of singleness as a good gift from God, which is what Paul speaks much of in this very chapter. But of course, the hope is that the couple could somehow, after a time of separation, be reconciled. That is what it says here. See, in our Australian laws, there is this 12-month period of separation before a divorce can be filed. Now, legally, that 12 months is to prove that the marriage is irretrievably broken down. It's time to prove that before the Christian. That period should be seen not as a time to prove that it can't work out, but instead, but instead appear to see godly counsel, working towards reconciliation as long as it takes, take, take years even if possible. But if in the end it is still not possible, Paul says very clearly here, remain unmarried. You see, remarriage is not even in the picture here. Divorce does not necessarily mean that remarriage is permitted by God. And I'll say that one again. Divorce does not necessarily mean that remarriage is permitted by God. Let me share with you this, this quote um, by Michael Hill to remind us once again the sanctity of marriage. The Bible does not allow unconditional commitment to be reduced to conditional commitment. Nor does the Bible allow that other person's centeredness to be turned into self-centeredness. The partners may separate, but, only accept, but the only acceptable future action is reconciliation. And the same principle applies even if it is a mixed marriage, married to a non-Christian. The Christian in that marriage is not to withdraw your commitment. You are to stick at it. And that is in verse 13. If a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. Which means the unbelieving spouse, if happy to stay, there is to be no divorce. Instead, it is for the believer to see even that marriage and that family as a mission field, hoping to bring the spouse to saving faith and to raise the children up in the faith. Well, now so far we have not yet spoken about this second concession. But just the reality in which some Christians find themselves. And so what is the second concession? Well, the first, remember, was adultery. The second is desertion by an unbelieving spouse. And that's what Paul speaks of next. Verse 15. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. 
And so the situation may be a bit like the couple is married. But one becomes a Christian and then finds that he or she has this newfound allegiance to Jesus Christ first. This desire to see the kingdom of God advance. A devotion to the kingdom of God. And the unbelieving spouse just cannot stand this Christian business. Cannot stand the God of this believer and walks away. And so the abandonment, it seems, is because of the Christian commitment itself. Not because of some mere incompatibility, but for whatever reason. If the unbelieving spouse leaves, then the believing spouse recognizes that divorce is a reality. The marriage becomes now and lives at peace with that. And so the two concessions. Adultery and desertion. Now that might sound far fewer than what you have expected. But should we be surprised that God has a far higher standard than ours? And that is the witness of Scripture. But of course, there needs to be a lot of wisdom because every case is so different. And that's why being part of a church family, even as you go through a messy relationship period, it's not something to work out alone and to decide alone and to adjudicate alone. In fact, I find here our confessional statements, the Westminster of Confession of Faith, it is extremely helpful in what is stated. We read this, Although the corruption of man be such as is apt to study arguments, unduly to put asunder those whom God hath joined together in marriage, yet nothing but adultery or such willful desertion as can no way be remedied by the church or civil magistrate, is cause sufficient of dissolving the bond of marriage, wherein a public and orderly course of proceedings is to be observed, and the persons concerned in it not left to their own wills and discretion in their own case. Now, I draw your attention to that last line. There is a place for partial wisdom, for collective wisdom for care, for love, for the shepherding of the shepherds in the church. If I just rely on my own thoughts and assess my own situation, it it can be quite biased. I need objective assessment. And of the eldership, who are entrusted to teach the word of God and to apply it, to discipline, to call to account where needed, to counsel, of course, to love and support, but not so quickly go to the lawyers. And so let this be a pastoral comment. If your marriage is difficult, don't try to work it out on your own, let alone head towards that divorce certificate too quickly, but turn to those entrusted to shepherd you. Now at this point, It is important that I spend a little bit of time speaking about domestic abuse. There won't be enough time to do it justice. There is a lot to say, but something has to be said. The sad reality is that it is a reality and and that it does happen. And our lockdowns have not really helped because most of these abuse occur away from the public eye. And so where does domestic abuse fit? 
when the scriptures only speak about these two concessions? Well, perhaps a few words of clarification first. A difficult marriage is very different to an abusive marriage. A difficult marriage, well, in any marriage, you've got two sinners who make promises, who try to live together for life. There will be times of difficulties. There will be times of deep hurt and pain and conflict, which calls for forgiveness and repentance, and the gospel provides the resources for that. But an abusive marriage is quite different. I like this definition by the Sydney Anglican Diocesan Task Force on Domestic Abuse. It's defined as a dysfunctional pattern of destructive power in which one partner dominates, controls and humiliates the other through the threat or actuality of physical violence or through other forms of demeaning emotional or psychological manipulation. And so abuse is feeling sort of stuck in this vicious cycle of fear and control and humiliation and even physical violence. It's not only traumatic, it is dangerous when it happens, and you need to hear this. It is outright wrong. It is sinful. It is unacceptable. It cannot be justified, and it needs to be dealt with and addressed. It has to be seen for the evil that it is. And those who perpetrate it must be held to account. And the victims are to be cared, supported and protected. Now even before talking about divorce, I have to say this. If this is your experience, then safety is of paramount importance. You have to get out. You have to be safe. Flee any immediate danger. Now, it may be hard and difficult to speak about this and speak out, but let me encourage you, if this is you, not only are there civil authorities there to help because it is a crime, but the church is here to help, care, support, and protect and be that safe place. You should not be suffering quietly. And so where does divorce fit? Well, again, the scriptures speak of those two explicit concessions for divorce. But in the situation of domestic abuse, but perhaps not only just domestic abuse, because I can imagine some extreme cases of grievous sin and depravity. The first thing is, of course, to apply verse 10, separation. Safety first. Call the authorities. If it's a crime, call the authorities. They are there to protect us. But also bring it to attention to the church leadership. You see, the church is a place where there is to be church discipline in line with Matthew 18, in calling to account, in rebuking where necessary. And church discipline does happen and needs to happen in the church. Why? Because holiness is important. And if there is no sign of any genuine repentance, cannot be naive here, no sign of any genuine repentance, well, in line with 1 Corinthians 5, the abuser is to be treated like an unbeliever. That can be judged and adjudicated by the eldership. 
The abuser is like an unbeliever and one who has abandoned the marriage. And so even though he may not be physically present, he may be physically present in the house, he, he has in, in his abuse and violence made the home such a dangerous place and impossible for his wife to live peacefully with him. And if the harm done is so great, it may mean that separation and even permanent separation and perhaps even divorce may be the only proper way of protecting the victim in such a deeply tragic situation. That needs to be said. Now, of course, there is a lot more to be said than that. But each case really needs to be dealt with individually, pastorally, with great compassion to apply the biblical principles to these gut-wrenching and difficult situations. But it is to be remembered that divorce is there as God's tragic grace then that can be taken hold of. But now as I end, the picture I want us to be left with as we consider this difficult topic is really the balm of the gospel. You see, there is no sin so grave, no mistake so big that the cross of Jesus Christ is not sufficient to forgive. His mercy is more. We can find forgiveness and run always to him to find love and comfort and find in him a way forward to live our lives that will honor him. And so if you have wrongly and sinfully divorced, you see, a certificate may be legal, but it cannot cleanse a guilty conscience. And so the encouragement is make amends where you can. Own your fault, seek forgiveness, and if at all possible, seek out reconciliation and let the gospel shine in your life. But divorce is not unforgivable. There is a way to live pursuing a life that will be honoring to Christ, finding and living in the free grace that is available to you. If you have been divorced and it wasn't your fault, now I say that even with some caution. We, however, want you to flourish like everyone else. It may mean that because you have taken hold of God's tragic grace and are living as a single parent, raising up your child or children alone, well, I want you to hear that the church family is your family, where you can see us as your family in even in helping up raising the children. And so those of us in the church, we need to be mindful, looking out and caring for those who are single parents amongst us, include them in our families. If you are single and you're thinking about marriage, do not enter marriage lightly. And when you think about those vows you'll make, don't think about it just on the wedding day. It's very easy to make those promises when everything is nice and everyone is beautiful. Think about those vows. Can I still make those promises to the one who may one day feel nothing like a friend? But can I still say it? If you are married and your marriage is strained, well, come to the Lord with a contrite heart and learn the joy of forgiveness just as you have been forgiven. 
don't merely try to solve it on your own as well. The church family is meant to be here. We have our staff, our elders who would walk with you. And of course, professional counselling may be necessary. But if your marriage is strained, speak up. Don't leave it until it's too late. The marriage is worth fighting for, even for the sake of the children. And finally, if you are married, keep working at it. Cherish each other. Love each other. Honour and be open and vulnerable towards each other. And reflect in your marriage the glory of the marriage between Christ and the church. Why? Because marriage was always intended for life. We must do all we can to preserve the sanctity of marriage. It is of utmost importance. But again, in the reality whereby some have taken hold of God's tragic grace, there is always more grace in the balm of the gospel of our Saviour and Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that as we have reflected on this difficult topic, a reality that we see even in our church community and around us, we pray, Lord, that we will learn that your grace is always more, that we might take heart because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and learn and live peacefully seeking to honour you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.